Hey folks, welcome back to the DC3 cast. My name is Brian. With me as always are my compatriots on this journey through Detective Comics Comics, Zach and Vince. We're going to talk about the comics released on the 27th of November 2019. Guys, this is this is uh we're rapidly approaching the end of the year. Um it's uh, yeah, it's kind of crazy. But uh the first book we're going to talk about this week is Action Comics number 1017. This issue Oh guys, look out. The JRJR appreciator has logged on. <laughs> I was just going to say <laughs> written by Brian Bendis, boxily illustrated by John Romita Jr. Um, Zach, let's start with you, since you are the JRJR boy. Uh, what did you think of this issue? Uh, I thought it was weird. Um, at not because of the art, actually. I like the art. I, you guys know that I notoriously appreciate JRJR on occasion. Um, notoriously and... on occasion. <laughs> <laughs> well yeah because usually you all are both you know against him all the time no matter what um so i have to stick up for him um but yeah no i thought his art was good on this um i don't remember who the colorist was that is usually a key factor on whether or not i think jrjr is good Um, i'm trying to check was uh brad anderson oh brad anderson is good okay um yeah yeah, this popped really well. I I really I liked this a lot artistically. I think that JRJR is a really good fit for Superman books. Um just not Superman year one. <laughs> um so yeah, I, I like this, but the story was just all over the place. Um and I think called in like a bigger gripe for me of like I I think I've been like thinking this for a while, but didn't really ever articulate it. That I think that Year of the Villain works better detached from Justice Doom War, and uh, this is very much detached from that. Kind of, kind of. Well, I mean. It doesn't make any sense for it to be happening in tandem with it. But it is. <laughs> but it's but it's like really not though. Like I mean I mean what's you, the what's you read this, this what's comic, the, right? <laughs> what's, well, what's, but the, like, what's the it, meaningful difference there, Zach? Because like in Justice Doom War, like Luther is off in space doing space cosmic space stuff, and here he's like just taking over metropolis you know it 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 like feels completely disconnected to me it doesn't make sense that the two things are happening at the same time of course it doesn't i mean that's you know that's but that's been true this entire time you know the fact that there's like four giant things happening in dc right now makes no sense when taken together and that's okay well Um, i think i think that like honestly i think the thing that like doesn't make sense with well, okay. I think Year of the Villain as like an overarching thing works fine in tandem with Leviathan. Yes. 
And I think most of it all works. I, I just think it's weird. Like, this is a Lex Luthor-centric issue that does not take into it. Unless this, this, this is supposed to be happening, like, way before the events of, like, current Justice League, which could be the case. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I think, like, uh, there are just a lot of, like, moving pieces in DC right now. Um, this could have maybe, uh, I, I don't know what this could have used. It, it reminds me of last week. I don't think we talked about this, but I think it mentioned in Batman and Superman, um, that this, this, this issue takes place before the events of, uh, city of Bane, um, because like Alfred was mentioned or something. Yes. I don't know. There, yeah, they're, they're just like a lot of like things going on in dc right now some that i like better than others i think um but i I think this issue this feels like an alternate universe version of what's going on over in justice league vince take us away uh i mean maybe uh, on the technicality you're right zach but it still just it still feels like it's um yeah the events themselves may not feel like they're the same but but the but the the overall tenor of just just the fact that it's apex lex and the yeah to me to me if you're if you're not if you're not paying super great attention you would just think this is the same as everything else which i think is i guess so fine i guess um I just thought it was really confusingly told. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was. It really it was. was. Yeah, and I thought the art did it no favors in that regard. Um, I don't. I don't think the confusion was necessarily Ramita's fault. I'm just saying he did not. There's nothing in the art to help matters. It's a lot of. Um, it's you know what? Okay, this is what it is. <laughs> this is what it is with this issue in particular. Bendis does this thing where he's got a conversation going and it's happening off panel. And sometimes it kind of relates to what's going on on panel, but not really. Other times it's a completely different conversation. And maybe something somebody says echoes with what's happening on the page a little. A, but lot, of, a lot of writers do that, though. Yes, that's true. But I, I think Bendis... I. It happens several times in this issue. I know it's a, I know it's a, a a snappy writing technique that writers use, but I feel like he uses it several times in this issue in an issue that's already a little bit hard to follow just based on yes, the order sort of order of things. And well, I think the like really confusing part of this issue is when he goes to. Um goes to Gorilla City yeah. and then like one page later is back in Metropolis. Yes. Yeah. And that and then you, very confusing. The other thing that was uh <laughs> the other thing that was confusing about that is that he 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 goes there. It's Leviathan Tech that takes him there, which you you don't I didn't realize that at first until they mentioned it in the dialogue. Because, because why would you realize it? <laughs> because I don't think that Ramita rendered that very clearly. 
well, you know, that, that's my point is like, how could you possibly know that unless they told it to you? Because the page right. itself does not tell you that. Right. You, you could now once I knew that it was Leviathan Tech, you can go back and like, oh, yeah, it's the blue ball that like, you know, Ollie got sucked into at one point in one of the event Leviathan issues. Or maybe it was. um No, it wasn't Ollie. It was uh, Steve. It was Steve Trevor. So, like, it's just not a very well-rendered version of that yeah. image. Right. And uh, and so, like, and then, then he's in Gorilla City, and they almost make it sound like they're aligned with, with Leviathan. But then later, like, Clark comes back, and he's talking to Lois, I think, and he's like, yeah, it turns out they had no idea what was going on. You know, it was just a very confusing uh, plot point, you know, and I don't... I don't think it was clearly obviously it was supposed to be a red herring, I guess, but that didn't come across smoothly in the telling. I don't think Um, it relied on a lot of like to get its exposition across about like um, what Leviathan's doing, what role the invisible mafia plays. It relied on a lot of like, characters talking in the background i don't know if you guys noticed that but it was like there's a lot of like and who owns the nightclub that you know it's like it was like people asking one another questions to let us know what we're supposed to think about the plot you know Mm -hmm. um these are things that that bendis does from time to time that it's another one of those ticks that just kind of annoys me or like doesn't doesn't jive with me um he hasn't done as much of that here at dc but when it when it happens it sticks out like a sore thumb that was like a big marvel avengers like his avengers run which ironically was his relaunch i believe ramita jr was the first artist on that right it was yeah yes and so like uh, that just that sort of writing technique just bothers me, and so this was not my favorite issue of a Bendis thing at DC uh, so far. Uh, what did I like about it? I I I do like the way that Bendis is um, tying his Invisible Mafia stuff to the Leviathan stuff, potentially to the. Uh, Year of the Villain, Justice League, Justice Doom War stuff. It, I, I may not like the technical way that he gets there, but I like that it's happening and I, it, it's being done in a, in a, plot wise in a way that I think is is compelling. It, it really, it really is hooking all this stuff together in a way that potentially makes sense. <laughs> so, so I did, I did like that, but this was definitely not my favorite issue of action comics since Bendis took over Brian. Sure. So I I have a couple of things I wanted to talk about. First of all, there is one page in particular that I really enjoyed Ramita's art. It's page 16 in our review copy where it's Superman flying into the, um, the fire sequence there. I, I, I got, I think that when, when Ramita is at his best, you can see him paring down his style much in the way that Mike Mignola pairs down his style at times, where just, like, he realizes that six lines will do better than 60 lines. 
I think in this page in particular, there's a couple of sequences where it just it's a little bit simpler and a little bit more, um, just I guess less worried about being a draftsman and being more worried about being a storyteller. So I really enjoyed this page in particular from uh, from Ramita's work. Uh, that said, every face in this issue is a nut face. Every single face he draws is a nut face. He has become the nut face drawer. Uh... I mean, who with with that power, who who wouldn't want to use it in that way? <laughs> that is, that is but I mean, just, just scroll through. I just picture everybody, everyone's nutting all the time. There's a couple that are so amazing that I I, I want to tweet them out, perhaps. Um, but also no nobody... the one there's one can, can I can I Go. can I talk about one in particular? Of course, yes. Give us the page. There's one there, it's one of the last pages. I don't have it up right now. Okay. It's it's maybe the second to last story page, but it's okay. when it's when he and Lois are talking and they realize that uh Luther is the key here. Yes. And there's like a shot of Superman and it's a silent panel, but it's like it's like from under, so it almost looks like he has the mustache yes, from the yeah. pre-Justice League. Yes, exactly. And he, he's he's got a mustache and he's nutting. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it's the perfect panel. Uh... <laughs> yeah. That's it. That's right there. Yeah. Uh, also, if you if you just isolated the lowest from this issue and said, "What DC character is this?" It would take you 700 guesses to guess Lois Lane. This looks which, nothing like Lois Lane's ever is, looked. Is a thing we've definitely said about Lois before. I can't remember what artist it was who was drawing her then. Um, man, I wish I could. Because we've said that about Lois before, too. We have, but this is, I think this is the most egregious case of this. It looks like Avril Lavigne. She's wearing a hat. She's like blonde wearing a trucker hat. She's Avril Lavigne. Has Avril yeah, Lavigne they... ever wore a trucker hat? I don't know. She does in this in this in this head cannon I have. Okay, shut up, Zach. Okay. okay. Uh, the, um... the, the decision to put her in a hat is very weird. <laughs> it is. Um, also, nobody told Ramita that that this isn't the new Fifty Two Superman. Uh yeah. <laughs> right. What do you mean? <laughs> He looks just like he, you know, this Superman is like married and has a kid and is older. He's drawing like twenty-two-year-old Clark Kent from the uh, from his run. From the job, oh, Jeff Jones, I, yeah. I don't think that he looks like an, he looks like Superman. He looks he doesn't he looks old. He looks thirty. First of all, thirty's not old, youngin. Uh, second of all, I, I am I am thirty. I feel old. I mean, you know. Geologically, thirty's not old, um, <laughs> but I, I don't have too much more to add to what you guys said. This issue kind of sucked. There were a lot of things about this issue that I thought were okay in isolation, but taken together with all the nut faces, just made it an almost un, unreadable issue. Um, I wish that I wish that Bendis would be. As cons- I think that what you said, Vince, makes a lot of sense. I think I think Bendis is excellent at weaving together all these different bits of things that are happening in DC. Like this is the book of all of the DC titles. This is the book that feels the most confident, existing in between all the weird stuff that's happening. Does that make sense? 
Like, yeah. like this book feels like, oh, this is happening in the middle of Event Leviathan and Year of the Villain and The Infected and all this other stuff. It just, Bendis feels comfortable playing in that in that sandbox with all those different pieces. And that's awesome. Good. I'm glad that he's doing that. That said, I wish he put as much effort into making this issue feel logical rather than making the whole line right now feel logical. Like, this issue could deal with the TLC that he's providing for the run in general, that the line in general right now. Because almost mm. nothing about this issue, like page to page, sings together. You know, it, it felt very disjointed to me. It felt... Um, I, I just I don't know what it was trying to do in a lot of instances. And that's a problem. Yeah. Um... All right, anything else to add? Nope. All right, well, let's dig into John Constantine Hellblazer number one. Um, this comes on the heels of the Sandman Universe Hellblazer one-shot that we got last month. Uh, this is written by Simon Spurrier, illustrated by Aaron Campbell, I want to draw particular attention to letterer Aditya Bidikar. The lettering on this issue was phenomenal. Did you guys notice that? Uh, I'm guessing not. Okay. <laughs> I, uh, I'll admit I am notoriously awful at like consciously noting lettering other than like noticing if it's all uppercase versus lowercase <laughs> font. That's about. I, I just I'm just not very trained in in noticing that. So um, the the thing in particular that I liked about this so much was that anytime there's a character talking, the lettering gave you so many clues as to how they were saying what they were saying. There was a lot of like yeah. lowercase thrown in there and smaller font and then bolded things. I just think sometimes the lettering is so dull and just not, it doesn't give you any any sense of a line reading that you would get. And this totally read like a, a script. Like you, you definitely knew what, what Spurrier was trying to say in every panel because Bidikar held your hand through that whole thing. Well, I didn't, but okay. <laughs> well, not in terms of like making sense. But in terms of how it's being said, yes, I know, I know. I'm, I'm, I'm just making a joke about how I don't connect with Spurrier's writing. We know uh, this old chestnut. Yeah. Um, yep. Just kidding. Go ahead, Vince. Start us off. Well, this left me mostly cold. Um, get a sweater. It's winter time, buddy. Yeah, yeah, it is. I, we're, we're about to get dumped on. I think tomorrow night. Um, <clears throat> but anyway, uh, I will say. I actually think I understood most of this. <laughs> Clap for me, guys. Clap. I did it. I did it. <laughs> um, I actually think I got most of the plot here. Um, but I, there's just still something about the writing. Like, I felt like there was a lot of unnecessary narration. There were a lot of times when, when the narration was going on. And I thought, okay, this to me, this is being done for stylistic reasons uh like let me just read you a bit here um 
oh, he mutters his I don't care lies, but he goes along with it all the same, you know, and it's just it's it's loaded up with this like very third person observer uh, narration that to me it didn't serve much of a purpose other than setting a tone. But I think the, the art of the book is the thing that really sets a good tone. Um, so I felt like the, the narration was a little, a little extra there. Um, I'm not all that intrigued by the plot, I guess. Um, the, do we want to talk about the plot a little bit, I guess? Sure. Uh, so if you can decipher it, go right ahead. Yeah. <laughs> so there's a, there's a, like soothsayer or a seer, they call him a scryer who's like, uh, rooting around through animal guts to see the future or see things that are happening uh, elsewhere uh, outside of his room. And that's a thing that I guess exists. Apparently there's people who see visions in <laughs> animal guts. It's like reading um, tea leaves, but so much worse. Yeah, exa- exactly. A lot really gross. Um, and what they see are these angels attacking uh, this drug dealing gang in the park uh, and skinning people alive. And they want to hire Constantine, Constantine to come and take care of the angelic infestation or whatever they are, demons, um, as you know, John Constantine is wont to do in these stories uh, so that they can continue to kind of run that park, right? Um, Meanwhile, there's, like, some political stuff. that There's, like, a weird orgy going on at the end that involves the prime minister of um, England, I would assume, or London. I don't know how politics works over there. Uh, (laughs) Is is the prime minister all of England? Yes. Yeah, Yeah. that's what I I thought. and and that that that's a little intriguing, but I, the stuff with the with the weird demons just seemed like your standard uh, Constantine plot. Um, but they're but they're angels. Well, they're angels, but then they burrow into this latest victims, and they they pop out these little demons. So like, what really are they? You know, I I don't know, I don't know. It's it was fine. I'm just not that into it. Again, I don't I don't I don't really care for like the monster of the week type Constantine stories. I really like the the stories that are end up being deeply personal to John. Like those were always my favorite stories from the old Hellblazer. Uh that's what a lot of the Jamie Delano run is. Um I thought the stuff between him and the bouncer, he gets thrown out of a microbrewery for telling a joke about the Prince of Wales. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's a lot of good banter between uh, him and the bouncer. I I thought that stuff was was really nice. I think Spurrier nails kind of like the personality of John and the way that he bounces off of people. I I thought that that was really effectively done. Um, Just something about the plot left me cold. 
Um, also on page 12, uh, that's totally Ryan Gosling as let me see as Constantine. So that's like <laughs> Ryan. Go- yeah. Is that not? Yeah, it is. It, it's Ryan Gosling after he's uh, hit the skids for a couple of years. Well, yeah, he cuts his hair for the movie, obviously, and they they won't make it for a few years, so he'll be older. He'll look like that. Um, yeah, yeah, I don't know. I, a little cold uh, with this one. Zach, what do you think? Yeah, I didn't love it. I actually, I thought the art was good in a way. Um I thought it fit the book really well. I did find some of the story to be a little indecipherable. Um, How the tables have turned. Yeah. I mean, I got the like broad strokes of it, but mostly, and this is like purely on me, but my part of my brain like turns off a little and he, time anybody does like phonetic spellings in mm. in like written medium um because i just spend so much time trying to like think about how this is supposed to be said um that i lose this i lose the story thread mm-hmm. um and and there was a bit of that here um i which again i that that's more on me than the story's fault, I think. Um, but it did, it did make it a little bit harder for me to, to follow it. Also, I was trying to read this one pretty quick to get through my books for this week. So, um, that also didn't help, but I, eh, I really want to like a Constantine book, but I don't know if this is going to be the one either. (laughs) Read that Delano run. Okay. Yeah, this um, I, I think Vince, I think you said it pretty perfectly when you said that Spurrier definitely gets the personality of Constantine pretty well. Like that that part with the bouncer was the part that I enjoyed uh, the most in the issue by far. Everything else felt either like very cliched Constantine stuff or indecipherable British slang or um, just. I think you said Monster of the Week, which is a really good call for sort of how the book felt at times. I, I just want a book that isn't so predictably Constantine-y. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. This just feels like Constantine paid by numbers. Yeah, I agree. I, I always roll my eyes when, when they do the thing where, and he, and he does uh, about halfway through the issue, where John's like, Oh, what sort of mess have I gotten myself into this time? <laughs> I'm like, oh, oh, you're you you need me. You're hiring me. You need me to wipe up a demon or something. Oh, I, I'm so wacky. That's what I do. You know, <laughs> like that's I I know that's what the character has become in recent years because he's become so popular and overused. But but really, you you read those first couple runs of the original Hellblazer and it's, he's so different. He's so, uh, more fully formed and less of a caricature. I suppose that happens to every, every thing, you know, like 
Kramer was less of a caricature at the beginning of Seinfeld <laughs> than he was by the end, you know? Yes. Uh, but yeah, it's just that this, it's not the John Constantine I prefer. So. Uh, so anything else to say about this? Uh, yeah, I guess I'll talk about the art a little bit more too. I, I really did like it. I, at first I was afraid like the page of him getting thrown out the thrown out of the brewery. I was like, Oh, this is going to be too stiff for me. This is like, this is like that style of art where all the characters look really stiff and uh, it's kind of annoying to read. But I, I did not find the rest of the book to be the, the case. I, I think I think uh, Aaron Campbell really nailed the tone. Um, and I think there's a lot of uh, neat stuff done with perspective. Like when there's somebody following... Uh, Constantine into an alley and then Constantine does a little turn and ends up behind the guy and then there's another guy behind him and just the, the way that the perspective is played with there is really well done and really clear to the reader you know um, contrast that with the action comics issue we just talked about where like from panel to panel I, I would lose my sense of placement because there, there wasn't necessarily continuity this book just flows really well from panel to panel. Um, so I could definitely read a Hellblazer book that looks like this. And I could definitely read a Spurrier-written Constantine book that sounds like this. You just I, don't I just know if really this is the one. <laughs> that this, this plot just didn't do anything for me. I... I don't, if, I don't know if that's fair or not. I, that's just going to happen, right? That's can't I can't lie about how I feel. <laughs> I guess. To paraphrase our friend Annie Clark, you can't turn off what turns you on, or vice versa. <laughs> uh, oh, what an ordinary day! Exactly. <laughs> Uh, no, I think that all makes a lot of sense, and I think that this is a this is a, a classic example of. Let's see how it's how it's feeling in a week or two, sorry, an issue or two, because this could just be first issue, sort of growing pains here. You know, I, I'm willing to say to Spurrier in a few weeks, show me that smile again. It's a growing pains. So I'm just <laughs> continuing the growing pains riff here. Sylvester Stallone, come on, let's was keep that, it going. Was that, just, was that just off the dome? That was yes. Oh man, remember remember when uh, Leonardo DiCaprio was on that? Channel? Yeah, where he was the uh, the yeah. homeless kid who was adopted. Then yeah, he poured every I poured every damn drop down the sink. <laughs> oh, he poured all of. Uh, uh, Alan, Alan Thicke's wine down the yep down the sink yep. Uh, all right, well let let let's move on. Um, let's, let's cleanse this uh, this Constantine taste out of our mouths and go over to Justice League Dark number fifteen seventeen. Yeah, sorry. a book that had no Constantine in it. That's well, right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this book 
to me, and I, I do want to talk about this this book sort of a little bit more than I've I've been sort of quiet on the first two books, but I have a lot more to say about this book. So to me, this book is the perfect encapsulation of the good and the bad of James Tynion the Fourth, the writer. On one hand, there is no reason for us to get the secret history of Circe of Circe in the first ten pages of this book. It serves almost no purpose for the story. And it doesn't inform much about the character at all. It's an anecdotal story that, at best, you can say, oh, okay. And at worst, takes up a good chunk of this issue for really no reason. I did not like that part in the slightest. I thought that was a waste of, a waste of everyone's time involved. That said, I think once Tynion got into the characterization of the various Justice League Dark members specifically Bobo, I really began to enjoy this issue. And I think that there is there is something that Tynion has going with this, with this cast that is really special. I just wish he would get out of his own way and just write that stuff and not worry about writing the first third of this issue. Yeah, I think... Um... I agree with you like pretty much completely on that. Um, I think that the like back half is handled really, really well. Um, especially the bit once you start to realize that something is like off with Diana and um, that kind of like glowing, growing sense of dread, um, you know, Bobo kind of realizes it and then you see, you know, Fernandez starts drawing her like we kind of veering off panel. Fernandez uh, illustrated this, and he's wonderful. Wonderful, fantastic, yeah. And so I, I really liked how all of that played out. Yeah, um, yeah. I don't know what's up with that intro. I don't. I don't know what what purpose that was supposed to serve, or if it was there just to pad things out a little bit more. Which is, you know, I this mean, isn't even a bi-weekly comic anymore um it, we know that tanyan loves a secret history he does but i feel like this isn't even that secret i feel like we have gotten this or similar information to it yes already well, it, in the book yeah we've definitely just to just to answer the question we've definitely like learned where cersei got the witch mark from we didn't see it but do we need to see it? Of course not. You know, and so, Zach, keep going, but I'm going to return to that point when... Well, I, I really don't have much more to say other than, you know, I like the back half. I'm fine. Um, mm -hmm. I love this cast so much. Like, it's so good. I just, I, I feel like they're so drastically underused. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. Um when we talk about James Tynion and his approach to writing these secret histories, as we call them, um, I think, you know, one, one thing I like to go back and remind myself is that in his detective comics run, the stuff about uh, Clayface, the stuff when he would go back and talk about Basil's origin, you know, 
among the best stuff in that run. And so, but I think the the key to understanding what the difference is, is that was a character who he needed to endear us all to. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was going to be, and I don't, I don't know if DC will stick with this, but I, I think I'll speak for Tynion here from, from the point of view of his run. That was a character who was going to be established as having a status quo, very different from what had come before. Um, and so it's important to flesh that out and make us care when you consider this type of flashback, what you guys said was exactly right. What purpose does it actually serve? It looks great because Javi Fernandez is drawing it, but what, and I don't just mean information. I mean, I mean, information, character work. What, what is it really doing us with regards to Cersei to learn this about her? I would argue as you said, Brian, almost nothing. And I think... The one thing I think that people... I'm sorry to interrupt you here, Vincey. No, Uh, no. The one thing I think people may point to is the idea of Cersei being, like, abused by her husband. Sure. Which is not anything to be taken lightly, obviously. No. But it's it's handled in a panel... Right. It's ever and it's and, every and, villain story ever. Yes. So exactly. Yes. It, there there is no there is no pathos built up here whatsoever. Right. Right. Yeah, there's a way to do this, but this this very much felt Again, the Clayface stuff is an example of of giving you a really affecting version of that, you know? Yes. This I don't even think is really attempting to be affecting. It's attempting to be more of an info dump. And and I'm talking entirely too much about this for a book that I otherwise really liked, but I just think <laughs> I think it's important to clarify what we mean when we talk about that because it's not like it's not like we're just sitting here saying don't ever show us an origin of anything ever again, you know? No, I, Th- that's right. not what we want. Yeah, it's um, not what we want at all. No, and that's not good. It's not good writing to not do that. But but I think the only people that this is really for that this is effective for because. Because I, we're 17 issues into this, and I wish we would have spent more, even more time with the team together, you know. But I feel yes. like there's all these little, I feel like there's all these little diversions, and little origins here and there, little backstory, little info dump. It gets in the way of the team having a team dynamic and and doing things. So that said, the rest of the issue was fantastic. You guys know I love me some. Eclipso Diamond. Oh yeah, uh, I think we all do. Do we, uh, do we all? Do we all love the Diamond folks? Uh, yes. Uh, more reason for you to read James Robinson's JLA run. Because <laughs> yeah, there's yeah. A, there's a major Eclipso arc in there. Um, yeah, just so. Yeah. Well, uh, you're gonna make me. It sounds like yeah, at some point. <laughs> uh, absolutely. Yes. Can I just circle back to one last thing before we move on from this? You well, said we're this? not we're not moving on from the. No, issue yet, no, but right? f- from from the sort of the the secret yeah. history, go, go for it. all that. Um, so today, uh, the three of us were texting because I was for a multiversity exercise that we're doing later this year. I was trying to name all the new fifty two books from memory, 
and I got 51 of them, and I'll never forgive myself for missing the Fury of Firestorm, the Nuclear Man. Um, but when I was thinking about sort of the New 52 in general, I remember specifically with Justice League Dark really appreciating the cast in that book and feeling like we never got any stories with the cast together. Similarly, I remember feeling that I was not so pleased with the sort of, quote, big seven of the Jeff Johns, uh, Jim Lee run of Justice League because I felt that there were a lot of interesting characters that were doing nothing in the New 52 and could have been on a Justice League team but weren't. But similarly, I don't think we got an issue of the seven Justice League characters all together until like issue 10 of that run. Mm. I think that in general, DC team books have spent more time building the team and more time establishing the dynamic in pieces than giving us a full team for the majority of a run. I cannot remember the last time a Justice League run gave us mostly the whole team together the whole time. Yeah, I don't know. And I, uh, I, I wonder Dan, if it's a Dan Jurgens Justice League International. <laughs> no, they killed off half the team. Remember that? <laughs> Barely. When I say half the team, the only one I remember definitely dying is Rocket Red. But, yeah. um, but yeah, I wonder if that's a conscious DC decision that they don't want to just have the team spending time together. Yeah, I don't know. Because I'm with you, man. I want to. I just want to see these characters interact. I'm not asking for an entire series of the Justice League Dark eating breakfast together, Brian Bendis Avengers style, but I but I think that every now and then giving us more time with these characters as a unit would be extraordinarily helpful. Yeah. I, yeah. I do want them having breakfast and going to going to the mall and just yucking <laughs> it up. That's yeah. what I want. I uh... I honestly think that has been, I mean, that's exaggerating, but I think that's been my big maybe issue with the whole Justice League line is just because it's just so plot driven. Like all of it is plot. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, that one issue when they're talking about all the room designs. I, yeah, that I, I know was you the guys were. I know you guys weren't super hot on that, but I love that shit. Um. Yeah. yeah. Um, so anything more on that before I talk about one or two things from the end of this issue? No. Did, can we can we just talk about how Bobo's the best too? Yeah. Go. Yes. Hong Kong Bobo. Oh man, there there's like one <laughs> listener who just pumped his or her fist over that late period Aerosmith reference. And I am not one listener. Uh, it's not the first time we've made that joke either. No, it's not. And I could never get through it without laughing either. I... Zach is totally bewildered by what we're talking about right now. And that's okay. You guys um, are you guys are goofy. We are goofy. Um, but we should make a little segment called Honkin' on Bobo where we just talk about how much we love Detective Chimp. Uh, so for this week's honking on Bobo, I, I want to talk about <laughs> just 
I love that this book has really torn Bobo down and built him back up in some ways, and he's still very unsure of himself. And I think Tanyan is really good at writing a character that has been through some shit and isn't totally like healed up yet. Like the way that Bobo basically says to Zatanna, like, look, I know I fuck up a lot, but but trust me on this. I love the way that he writes characters in that situation where just they're they're not maybe the most confident characters out there, but when they're sure of themselves, they take a stand. And just something about it, he's done it a few times throughout he did it in tech once or twice with um with spoiler. And I, I just think he's he's very adept at giving us those those nice moments from characters that maybe are usually doubting of themselves but are, are feeling strong in the moment. I I will honk all over Bobo in this issue. Yeah, well said. Um one one thing one other thing I wanted to talk about was um so Javi Fernandez, great, wonderful art, tone perfect for a Justice League dark book, very creepy, dark, unsettling at times. Gotta give it up for him. He probably drew the grossest thing to me in a DC book that I've read this year, which is Zatanna carving her mouth open so that she can tell us, do a spell after her mouth has been sealed. Mm -hmm. Um, Man, it was gross. What a great artistic depiction of that. And I almost gagged. So, <laughs> was, do you guys uh, remember the cover to? Oh God, I don't remember who drew it. It's the uh, it's a uh, dark horse series called Colder. And oh, the, with the fin- with the yeah. fingers, the fingers the... going. Th- it, it was written by by uh, Juan Ferreira. Yeah, um, wasn't didn't he do the cover too? Yes, and uh, that cover is one of the most haunting images I've seen like in a decade. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and uh, that that reminded me visually of the same type of thing, mm-hmm. uh, and a little bit of uh, Gina Davis unzipping her mouth to say Beetlejuice. <laughs> Zach, anything else to add here? Uh, I don't think so. All right, well, let's take a break, and when we come back, we'll round out the show with the final two issues of the week. So stay tuned. Hello, we're the hosts of the Multiversity Manga Club podcast. I'm Emily. I'm Zach. And I'm Walter. Each month, we pick a manga to read and discuss among ourselves. Past books include Monster, A Silent Voice, and Pokemon Adventures. We also look back on the past month's installments of Weekly Shonen Jump, discussing the highs and lows from the Viz Anthology. We've even discussed notable manga adaptations like Netflix's Death Note. At the end of each episode, we announce next month's book club pick so you can read along with us. We're always open to suggestions for future books as well. So join us on the first Friday of every month on multiversitycomics.com, Apple Podcasts, or your podcatcher of choice. And we are back with Shazam number eight, written by Jeff Johns, illustrated by Scott Collins. And um, this issue pays off a few things that we've seen building in Shazam thus far. Um, Although somehow we are still not out of this Seven Realms arc, 
I don't know how. Did that's you possible. did you see? Um, so in February, solicits it solicited issue twelve and said that's the conclusion of the Seven Realms arc. Yes. Yes. So. <laughs> so strap in. Is what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. Uh. That'll be another fun thing to check. Um, the the time from issue one to twelve of Doomsday Clock and the time from issue one to twelve of Shazam. Yeah, it's not quite <laughs> as long, but it's not it's not that far off. Well, we're not there yet. We don't know when it's gonna come out. That is true. That is true. Uh, Zach, why don't you start us off with this one? <sighs> I really want to like this, but. I know I read the last issue, but <laughs> for the life of me, none of this it feels familiar. <laughs> um, I don't know how any of the characters got to where they are. Um, maybe I just am misremembering. Do either of you remember? Kind of. I remember like the I, wizard. I, I remember. I do too. I do too. Wasn't that the was that the end of the last issue? I think, I think so. so. I think they ended up in the Wazender lands. Uh, okay. End, yeah. Okay, but now everybody ends up in the Dark Lands. Not the, everybody, uh, right? Uh, well, Freddy and and Darla are there. Right, I don't and remember how they lady. got. I, I mean, I, I think they got there because they like walked through the wrong door. Because they were in the, okay. what was the, um, what was the land where all the animals are? The, the Takitani land. Yeah, yeah, they they were the in Takitani land and the Animal Kingdom. Yes, the Wild Land, <laughs> Narnia. Wild. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they were they were in Narnia with Aslan, and then they uh... Aslan. Aslan, yeah. What what's his name? How would you say it? Aslan. I, I think it sounds less like ass. Uh, maybe how you read it. I don't know. Um, anyway, but I, I remember them like being chased out of there and just kind of opening a door to try and get away. Maybe. Um, okay. Um. Yeah, but the, uh, but then they. Uh, I'm, I feel like I'm gonna nitpick this issue. But then, like Freddie and Darla talk about. Finding the wizard. The, the wizard told us the bell tower would bring us home. Blah blah blah. I don't remember any of that. Uh, uh-huh. I don't remember that. There's this weird side thing with this this skeletal team of Captain Marvels, yes. which uh, could have which been I, way I, more I, interesting. That, that, that been... is, that's admin and the share zone. Yeah, it is. Yeah, I, I just, I, I didn't, I don't get it. I don't know. I don't know what it's supposed to be referencing. I guess, like, I guess these are previous uh, champions, uh, but that's not communicated super well. Um, there's a lot of weird characterization in this um, and and characters just being able to do things. So, like, Black Adam at first is like, oh, I don't like Dr. Savannah. But then Savannah's like, I'm very powerful and I have. If we're going to nitpick pronunciations, Savannah. Savannah's a city, Savannah's a villain. Oh, 
my goodness, fine, whatever. Savannah. Oh, you do it to me, like, but I can't do it to you. I understand. I've, I've got I've got Mr. Mind here, and also I can call the Seven Sins, and then Black Adam's like, oh, okay, well, I'm also very evil now, and I want to kill Billy's dad. And it's just all really weird and convenient and inconsistent and... Oh man, I don't know. I really, really, really want to like this a lot, but this to me feels like John's maybe realizing that this Seven Realms is bullshit and trying to squeeze <laughs> in all of the other Shazam stuff he's been ignoring, like Mister Mind, Savannah, Black Adam, Billy's dad, Takitani. We get hoppy a little bit in the in the with the wizard Shazam, like all that stuff was pretty much not touched for the first six issues of the series, and he's he throws it all into this issue, and it like you said, Zach is very inconsistent because of that. Even though I love all of these elements and I want all these elements to be a part of this series, but all thrown into this one issue, I don't think it works all that well. Mm-hmm. Vince, what say you? Yeah, that's that's really well said. Um, the way that I was going to put it, which is saying basically the exact same thing that you said, is that this feels like uh, this feels like it's trying to be Jeff Johns Green Lantern, but it's trying to shove it all into the entire run into twelve issues, and so you're losing you're losing the deeper aspects of the lore and you're losing a lot of the heart, you know? Yes. Where's the heart in this? Um, I, I feel like some of the earlier issues had some, but this is all, this is all plot. You know, this is boom, boom, boom plot. Uh, here's the, here's the seven sins. Here's the seven wonderland. You know, we're going to, we're going to race through the seven, uh, magic lands or whatever um we're going to introduce all this lore we're just going to throw it at you and we're going to move on the yeah that that's exactly what the like share zone part was you know like you said zach you, you didn't completely get what it was supposed to be or what it was supposed to be referencing i don't either i mean maybe it's just that the dark lands are another magic land they didn't know about or whatever and this is what happens there. I, I don't know, but it feels like there are references being made there. Like if you look at the gravestone, it says Captain Marvel Senior on one of it. One of them, right? right? Yeah, and he has kind of like a, a costume that feels referential to maybe like older versions of Captain Marvel. Well, it, it has the sort of like button over top. Yeah. Know? Um, yeah. and, and if you recall, issue seven ended with next month, Shazam meets Captain Marvel. Yeah, and we were so all like, that's right. yes. And this, yeah, you, man, you're right. If if this is supposed to be that, then then we were sold a bill of goods. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, which I think it is. So so yes. so then are we saying are we saying that they're trying to stealth? sneak in the like faucet version of the character the whiz comics i don't know about that I, I, exactly we that's that's my point we don't know well i also wonder really... if we're supposed to to maybe wonder i mean is captain marvel is that captain marvel or is like billy's dad captain marvel 
Well, that yeah. yeah. It feels like it's it feels like it's do, this issue feels like it's doing the same thing twice in that way, you know? Yeah. Or is it just that Billy's dad is not necessarily supposed to be the original Captain Marvel, but just an explanation that anybody who is part of Billy's quote unquote family can use the power of Shazam. You know what I you know what I mean? Yes. Like Yeah. Again, it's shoving all of this stuff into one issue and just not not being very clear about it and not not allowing us to find any real like emotional uh intelligence connection to it you know so um not not to always position myself as the Shazam boy here but well you are oh, but you are but I am the Shazam boy yes but one of the things that the the power of Shazam series from the nineties, which rumor has it is going to be collected next year, which would be dope. Um, one of the things that that book did was it very deliberately doled out information as you needed it. And it just lets you kind of come to grips with certain aspects of the character. And I think that, you know, when you're doing a Superman book in 2019, you don't need to do that. Everybody knows where he's from. They know the names of his friends and his villains and his wife. It's all common knowledge. His but, wife. His wife. But because of the New 52 changes to this character, I mean, the movie helps a lot. But if you read a Captain Marvel comic when you were a kid, this is very different than that. And so you need to take your time with, with introducing... <laughs> talkie Tawny and Hoppy and Uncle Dudley and all that shit. And so just the fact that they if they could just do that at a at a better pace and not try and squeeze in all the twelve issues, like you said, guys. But I think that the reason that it's all in twelve issues is because I can't see John's writing issue number thirteen. Can you? I don't think so. No. And I just hope that this isn't the end of the book. And I hope that whoever comes on, like, to me, the number one thing that you have to do is you have to establish what the rules are with this Shazam family. You have to figure out, like, do they all need, can they use their powers independently? You know, one of the old school things was that if just Billy was using the powers, he was the most powerful. Whenever Mary or Freddie would start using it, it would take away from his overall power because the mm -hmm. three of them shared the power of Shazam. Is like just set up some rules for these characters. We don't know anything about how these characters work. Yeah. And like let these characters do more stuff. Let mm -hmm. them not just be Billy's sidekicks. I mean, that's my my number one criticism of comics as they exist today at DC and Marvel is that you know, if they do like a six issue mini or a 12 issue mini, or if an, if, if something's pitched as an ongoing and then it ends up only being 12 issues, most of the time that first, whatever its first arc is, spends its entire time reestablishing this set of characters in the universe and then completely dropping them at the end. And then, and we, it it seems to me that gone are the days of a character or of a writer coming in, taking a character over from another character and continuing 
what they were doing. That's not expressly true because we we've talked on the show about times that that's happened recently. I'm just saying with more often actually. Right. Yes. Yeah, exactly. That used to be the industry standard though. Every writer would take on from the writer that came before and continue that story. And sure they may take a complete left turn, but they it wouldn't it wouldn't feel like an entirely different book from day one. And I don't know when this started happening and it's not always a bad thing, but it is a bad thing when you've been waiting years for a Shazam book, they give you one and then it looks like we may only get 12 issues of it before we maybe don't see a Shazam book again for a while. You know? The other thing is that it's not even a new creator. This Johns was the last person to touch these characters. Right. But even he, even he is spending a heck of a lot of time reestablishing lore yes. And kind of running away from some of the some of the minor things that maybe people didn't like about his previous run. Yeah. It's just crazy to me that that Warner Brothers corporate has enough faith in Shazam to greenlight both a sequel and a Black Adam movie, and yet DC can't figure out how to do this book. Oh man, we didn't even talk about the Black Adam movie stuff. <laughs> Should we talk about it? Let's talk about it. Dwayne the Rock Johnson. Uh, well, uh, I mean that. Also JSA supposedly. Yes, yeah, supposedly JSA yeah. and possibly Henry Cavill. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> and and that teaser image, that like concept art of the Rock as uh, mm-hmm. as Black Adam uh-huh. looked really good. I mean, I'm I'm fully all in for that. Yeah. If, if all can, those things happen, that, that's great. Who petitioned to have his nickname officially be Dwayne the Rock of Eternity Johnson while he's doing Black <laughs> Adam? That's gonna be that's gonna be in some marketing thing for sure. It better be. The, uh, uh, the people of Kandak's elbow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Vince, uh, have you seen Shazam yet? No. You should see it. It's very good. I mean. I don't. I don't really watch movies or TV. Yeah, but you should. <laughs> I It'll read bring comics. you joy. It'll bring you joy. I, I, I think Vince that you would be better. It would be time better spent to read <laughs> to to watch the the Shazam movie than to read the Shazam comic. I, unfortunately. Oh my god. Well, I just mean I read a lot of comics. Period, and that's well, what I like know. doing. We know, and I and I and I we see know. these movies, and they're not better than comics. So, well, in this case, the Shazam movie was the best Shazam comic since the nineties. That's 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 fine, but wh- how long did it take me to read this one issue of Shazam in the last two or three months? It took me 15, 20 minutes. You yeah, know? but did you enjoy it? No, I didn't, but then I read two other comics additionally in the same amount of time it would have taken me to watch Shazam that I did enjoy. So Okay. All right. That's what I'm saying. It's not comparing the movie Shazam to the comic Shazam. I guess I guess it's just if you need a Shazam fix, that's what you should do. Yeah. But it's time spent. I don't need a fix of anything. What you need to do, Vince, is you need to sit down and watch Shazam. And play Pokemon while you do it. <laughs> and that's making good use of your time. You're, the, 
You're multitasking. Yeah, I can't. The only thing I can watch while I'm playing a video game is uh, Diners, Drive-Ins, and Dives. Okay, well. Because I don't, I don't need to put my full attention on the TV if I'm going to Flavortown. No, did I, did I lose you after no, that? No, no, I was... Now I'm just, you know, I'll go to bed tonight with dreams of donkey sauce dancing in my head. <laughs> then, you'll, then you'll honk on Bobo. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm not going to say what I was just going to say. Um, <laughs> Bobo's a harmonica, right? Uh, I mean, the, the cover of the Honkin' on Bobo album is a harmonica, yes. Um, but... <laughs> But but the Bobo is the friends you made along the way. So, uh, so let's dig into our last issue of the week, "Tales from the Dark Multiverse: Infinite Crisis," written by James Tynion the Fourth, illustrated by Aaron Lepresti. Um, Brian's fave, uh, my absolute fave. Uh, we do get the uh, Crypt Keeper Tempest Fogonaut again, telling us the beginning of. Tales from the Crypt. If he was wearing like a cowboy hat in a bar, he would. This would be a Tales from the Crypt opening. <laughs> the ending is completely Twilight Zone. Yeah, or Tales from the Crypt again. I, I just, well, I, I like picturing the Crypt Keeper uh, as Tempest fucking up. Yeah, I know, but did did the Crypt Keeper say things like? Because he says a question that can only be answered. In the dark multiverse, right? That that, that, that was Twilight Zone, yes. Yeah. Uh, if it was a... if it was punnier, it would be the Crypt Keeper. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, Man, was was the Crypt? I can't remember. Was the Crypt Keeper horny too? Was that part of his character? <laughs> Did he like? He seems like he would have been right. It, it, he definitely seems like he would have been. I don't know if he ever actually was. Okay. Um, let's do some let's do some research and <laughs> circle back to this next week. All right. <laughs> Alexa is the Crypt Keeper horny. Um, okay, so uh, <laughs> let's dig into this issue. So first of all, I think that for for the three of us, Infinite Crisis is a pretty special both time and book. Would, would we agree with that? Uh, ti- uh, time, yes. Um, yeah. I mean, I I think I I wasn't reading comics when infinite crisis came out but i did read it pretty soon after i started which would have been like 08 so a few years after it happened and i actually do remember so i worked at a grocery store that still had a comic rack when infinite crisis was coming out and i remember seeing the covers and thinking that it looked really cool um which I think is is funny now. I wish I had just read it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, yeah, I think I think so. So See, for me, and just to clarify, for me, I came in right after the event. So the event itself, I don't have the fondness for. Like if you're saying the the book is special to me, it's not. But everything that spun out of it essentially I guess I, guess I just feel like this yeah. is this is the type of DC stuff we talk about all the time I mean this was the yeah, launching sure. point for for 52 for Sinestro Corps War exactly that's for, what I mean. yep. for literally everything New yep. Krypton yeah uh, 
all that stuff kind of spins out of this. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, so what I was going to say is I feel like for a lot of the stuff of, for some of these tales in the dark multiverse books, they were eras that were not as, um, important to, to us as, as readers or, Something like Blackest Night was one corner of the universe at the time, whereas this felt like a more sprawling, inclusive story. Like, reading this yeah. book definitely brought me back to this era more than the other well, it, books have done. Yeah. It highlights, like, all of the four, like, massive storylines, you know, miniseries that were happening in conjunction with... Uh, with Infinite Crisis proper, plus all yeah. of the like lead ups and tie ins and everything, um, you know the countdown to Infinite Crisis, the Superman story. What what was that? Uh, the one with him and Wonder Woman. Yeah, ah, uh, oh, I can't remember what it's called. Yeah, um, it'll come to us. Yeah, uh, but like all of that stuff is here. Um, was that the? Uh, keep talking. Yeah, Sorry. I, it, was it like salvation or or sanctuary or something? I think it, I feel like it's an S word. Was um, that Ju- was that Judd Winnick writing? I no. think Gail Simone was involved to some degree. Oh man, our listeners are screaming at us right yes, now. Yes, they are. They absolutely <laughs> are. Um, uh, anyway. Yeah, anyway, but, but what I was saying was that I feel like a lot of this issue just brought me to that warm, fuzzy, infinite crisis place, you know, mm-hmm. where where it just felt very much reminiscent of the types of books that were coming out at that time. And I thought that Tynion and Lepresti did a great job in grounding the book in the visual and narrative language of the time. Oh, yeah. So this felt very much a piece with what we were reading at the time. And for that reason, even though I thought the book got less interesting as it went on, I was happy to keep up with the journey of it because it just felt like comfort food to me. Yeah, I I liked this book, I think. Um I think for that reason, the comfort food argument, um, I don't, it wasn't like particularly groundbreaking or anything, but I don't know. It, it highlighted so many things outside of just um, Infinite Crisis too. You know, there were some big JLI vibes in here. Absolutely. Um, and, and also like any book that highlights how much Batman sucks, I'm in for. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Um, this was my favorite of these Tales from the Dark Multiverse books, I think, by far, uh, for how comprehensive it it was. Um, Remember when we talked about the Blackest Night one? Do you guys remember what what one of my criticisms of that was? Where, like, it, it, uh, it did its little switcheroo 
at a certain point in the Blackest Night story, and it showed us what happened after that. But it did not actually comprehensively cover the Blackest Night event. Mm-hmm. Yes. Whereas this, as you just said, not only does it cover Infinite Crisis as an event, but all those tie-in books, it at least devotes a page to, like, the the Rand Thandegar War yep. gets, I think, at least one page. Mm-hmm. You know, it's comprehensive. Yeah. It's almost, if it, if it weren't for, uh, you know, a few plot twists that make this the dark multiverse. This is almost like a, uh, you know, double-sized issue summary of infinite crisis for you, which I found delightful. And, you know, the, the twists that it took, they kind of ended up amounting to that one, uh, SNL digital short, that is like the OC parody where people keep walking into the apartment and getting shot. Uh, yes. The best one. Yeah. The best <laughs> one. Yep. Yep. Yeah. With the, uh, Imogen yep. Deep song. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I didn't seek. Yeah. Uh, that's basically what this issue was, but oh, I love, I love what? <laughs> no, I just, no, I just want that. You're I, want dark multiverse, uh, I want dark multiverse dear sister video um so, so you're, you're sort imagining of, maxwell lord getting shot in the head and then <laughs> what you say yeah yeah just over and over again yeah. brian to, what were you gonna say to sort of bounce off what you were saying vince to me and this is this might come off as, as a as sounding negative i don't mean it that way to me this felt more like an issue of what if than it did Tales from the Dark Multiverse. Because in so many of those other stories we've read so far, there's been a a really wild change that happened, whereas this is a very mundane change. If Ted Cord hadn't been murdered, this is what could have happened. Mm-hmm. And I feel like because it wasn't this radical re- retelling of the story, it allowed Tynion to to not worry so much about trying to do shocking things versus to just let the story play out as naturally as it could given the change in circumstance. Yeah. I dug it. This is good. Yeah. Yeah, that's well said. Um I really enjoyed revisiting characters and versions of characters that we haven't seen in a while or spent time in a with in a while. Um, this version of Ted cord, you know, it, like you guys said, it's a time and place, right? Um, we've, we've seen a lot of Ted in the new 52 and, and rebirth and we've seen booster gold and just not like this though. Right. This is different. This is, this is, Taking us back. Yep. Uh, Sasha Bordeaux. I'm sure somewhere along the way we've seen her uh, since this in some different form. It's not coming to mind right now, but, but you know, like this is the recognizable version of that character. And uh, all the OMAC stuff. Fantastic. Yeah. Just, 
And I love the way that, that Tynion uses the Trinity kind of as reactionary observers more than anything. Sure. They don't they don't uh, hijack the plot or anything like that. It's it's really it's really interesting. It's really it really stays true to the mission statement that I thought Tales from the Dark Multiverse was going to you know the road it was going to go down um, more than some of the other books did. So and yeah, the Lepresti art like it's pretty standard like Cape comic art, right? There's nothing super special about it, but you look at it and you go like, these just all look like the characters were supposed to look back in 2006 or whenever. Was it 2006? Whatever. Yeah, I think yeah, it was like yeah. 05 or 06. Six, yeah. Was it? Okay. Yeah. 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 Because, yeah. So, um, yeah, re- really enjoyed reading this one. Didn't speed through it. Just really took my well, time. You, you took really so couldn't. Well. It was it was pretty long and dense. Yeah, yeah. Which is fine. Yeah. It, it actually, in that way, reminded me of the Countdown Day of Night Crisis special. Oh yeah, yeah. Was that that like eighty page? Yeah. Yeah. For well, a dollar. Yeah, I forgot that was a dollar comic. Everyone DC used to do stuff like that? Hint, hint. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, our list for the week on the good list, we have Martian Manhunter, the Supergirl Annual, and the Terrifics. On the OK list, we have Basketful of Heads, Batgirl, Detective Comics, and The Flash. On the Sandman Universe list, we have Books of Magic, the Black Label list, The Last God, on the Jurgens list, Batman Beyond, the Beware the Creeper list, Red Hood Outlaw, the Don't Call It Elseworlds list, Freedom Fighters, the Neil Adams list, Batman vs. Rachel Ghoul, and the Holy Shit, This Actually Came Out list, Batman Creature of the Night. Um, next week's a weird week, Vince. What do we have coming out? Uh, yeah, first week of December. Yep. Uh, we've got Batman 84. We've got Batman Universe number six. We've got the final issue of Collapser. That was a six-issue mini, right? Yep. Um, we've got the final Deathstroke. Ooh, yep. you guys. Ooh. Ooh. Oh, man. Uh, we've got The Dreaming. We've got uh, Green Lantern Black Stars issue two. We've got Harley Quinn. we got the Deathbringer Infected book. Um, we've got Inferior 5. We've got Justice League, we've got Lois Lane, we've got the New Year's Evil uh, one-shot anthology thing. We've got uh, Superman Up in the Sky, Wonder Woman Come Back to Me, and Young Justice 11. Another I've, full week, you guys. Yeah, I feel like the big the big ticket items there are Deathstroke, Black Stars, and the New Year's Evil. Yeah, and Deathbringer. That's probably what we'll talk about. Deathbringer, yeah. We're going to have to read Deathbringer. And maybe, maybe, this isn't set in stone. If you guys don't want to, that's fine. But maybe that Collapser finale. I could dig that, maybe. 
Yeah, that's a good idea. I think I need to go read every issue. <laughs> well, <laughs> the first one. But... If you don't, if you don't want to, we don't have to. And, no, it, and, if, I, and if it's no, a duck, I would like to. No, I would like to. I would like to. I've been meaning to catch up on that. I've yeah. just gone behind. I was gonna. I was gonna suggest that next week be our Harley Quinn catch up. But if we're catching up on uh, Collapser, we'll save Harley Quinn for later on. Well, if Collapser is a conversational dud, then we can we can do Harley Quinn. We'll see. We'll, we'll see. Play, we'll play it by ear. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see. Yeah. Uh, until then, though, you can find two thirds of us on Twitter. I am at Brian needs a nap. And I am at Walker Fox. If you need Vince, you know what he's doing. He's honking on Bobo. <laughs> and I'll let you watch. Oh God, I'm so lucky. For uh, until... for play, play the your, What are your raids? Are... What are your raids? <laughs> Uh, just just uh, t- toss a coin into my hat, which is okay, sitting okay. on the bench in front of me as I honk on Bobo, okay. which is a harmonica and nothing dirty or sinister. I don't know what Brian is suggesting. Well, until next time. I'm canceled, and that's it, Chief.